a unique rabbit. What? Well, the question is, how do you catch a unique rabbit? Unique up on it. How do you catch a tame rabbit? The tame way. <laughs> dad, dad jokes aplenty. Boom. Okay. But the real reason for this, I call it the uniqueness of our good news. And I'm talking about the story of Jesus and the tax collectors. And particularly, which particular tax collector did Jesus have a lot of interactions with? Who? Matthew, otherwise known as Levi. Thank you very much. I'm interactive, by the way, if you've never seen me up here before. It's very interactive. Good luck. Okay. I begin this, I have a, <laughs> about five months ago, me and Will, uh, Will's the, the pastor of the church, he's actually going to Kauai for three, two weeks. He's going to be gone for three straight weeks. Um, so good for him. Enjoy Kauai. He's actually been doing some teaching stuff in Kauai. But me and him, we're going to go, we're, we're in the hiking Glassford Hill. So um, I'd been doing some hiking, a lot of hiking. I hiked the Grand Canyon twice. Um, so I was feeling pretty good, feeling my oats, so to speak. <laughs> Look at me, I've been doing so good. Um, so I decide I'm going to get to Glassford Hill at about 4.45 in the morning to do it one time before meeting him at 6.15 and doing it a second time. Okay? So I'm a little late, and I'm going, well, if I really hustle up Glassford Hill, it's about two, about two it's all not quite two and a half miles up and two and a half miles down, but if I really hustle up, and hustle down, I can make it before Will. So I cruise up Glassford Hill, and I mean, I'm flying. I think I'm up Glassford Hill in about 40 minutes, okay? That's flying on Glassford Hill in terms of getting up it, because normally it takes me 55, up to an hour to get up it. I get up to the top, I turn around, I start coming down. I mean, coming down feels good. Boy, you're, you're there, and I'm like, I can really make up some time coming down Glassford Hill. So you start coming down the hill, and it's a trail that's actually very steep, Okay? It's like this, and the rocks are all over the place. It's very loose up there. And I start jogging this downhill, because you, know, you can jog down this thing. And I get about a quarter way down Glassford Hill, and three ladies are coming up this way, and I'm just doing my thing, right? You're, you're kind of peacocking a little bit. Look, look at me, look at me, running like this. And the, all of a sudden, I think in my head, man, it's been a really long time since I've tripped and fell when I'm running anywhere. And about that time, tripped and fell, I catch a rock with my right foot and I start going down. And I think I said out loud, really? (laughs) (laughs) And I go down. Fortunately, my left arm takes the brunt of it. So I, I, I really, you know, put a rock into my hand and my wrist hurts, but I really didn't hurt anything else other than my pride. The ladies heard the thud of me hitting the ground, so they turn around, and I give them what universally in my household with my son is the good old-fashioned, I'm okay, <laughs> I'm okay, <laughs> right? This is what your kids do. I'm all right. I'm all right. I use that. that. That was my experience there, but there are several times in life, guys, where we're cruising. We're firing law on all cylinders. Everything's good. And we hit the rock. And, almost, and you can almost hear in our heads, really? Is this happening? Right? This is an experience we all feel. I've experienced this on the hill. But this is just a weekly, monthly, 
yearly experience in our lives. This is part of our human experience. We're going to talk a little bit about that towards the end, but interesting story, way to put it there. I want to begin the story. The, the one, this story is in um, three different Gospels. It's in Luke, Mark, and Matthew, okay? So if you're going to follow me in a Bible, you need to turn to Luke 5, Matthew 9, and Mark 2, okay? Those three chapters, and, and um, if you remember Back to the Future, he's like, uh, you know, uh, in the key of C, watch me for the changes, and guys, just try and keep up. That's what he did when he was playing Johnny Be Good at the end of, uh, uh, of Back to the Future. So I hope you can keep up with me here. <laughs> what I'm going to do here is something on Thursdays nights, uh, we have a meet, we, we meet, I meet back here with a group every other Thursday night. We are meeting this Thursday. And what we're doing is we're going through the Gospels parallel, chronological. So we get to a passage. If it's got three different places, the passages, we talk about all three passages. I'm going to walk you a little bit through or one of the th- things that we do on those Thursdays because it's very interesting to take the story and see it from three people's perspective. Because each one adds something different, adds something new to the experience, and actually tells a bigger story to us and what it can mean for us, right? So Luke 5, 27 through 32. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus and the guest of honor, as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? (laughs) Moss, icely spaceport. No other hive of scum and villainy, right? (laughs) Star Wars fans, yes, you can bring that up. It's okay. That's two movie quotes, by the way, just so you know, just if you're keeping track. I know some are. Anyway, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think they're righteous. I've, not, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Okay, this is our base story. Couple facts here. Um... Matt, Levi, also known as who? Matthew. Out at the edge of town. Sitting where? Where's he at? In his collector's booth. He's doing his job. Now, somebody give me some descriptions of this job at that time. What was his tax collector job? What was he really? He what? Kind of an accountant. What else does he do? He what? That's the best description of it. He extorts money for the Romans. That's what the tax collectors of the time did. They were extortionists. Okay? Here's how, the, here's how it played out in those times. Rome, you know, they didn't have computers and, and, and ways of keeping massive records on people. So the Romans, they dominated the known world at the time which was massive. 
And you didn't have telecommunications and all that fun stuff. So how did they collect taxes and how did they know how to collect taxes from all these regions? Well, it became a simple program. They went to the region, they found people in the region and said, you owe us this much money. So they knew from Judea, they could collect this much money. From Galatia, which is around Turkey, from um, someplace up in France. Poland, yeah. Galatia. Rome said, each of these places owe us this much money during this time. And in order to collect it, they went to people in, in Judea, Jewish people, and said, hey, you want a little bit of a way to make a living? Give us this much money, and whatever you collect more than that is yours. Okay? Whatever you collect is yours. Now, question. If that's your... If that's who you, what you're doing and how you make a living, how much money would you try and collect from people? As much as you physically can. So, if I'm a traveler in Rome and I come upon Matthew's booth and I have a cart and Matthew looks at my cart and says, well, I need to levy taxes on this cart, how much money do you think he's going to ask of me in this situation? He's going to look at me, he's going to size me up, and he's going to see, think, how much do I think I can get out of him, right? That's what we do. That's what the tax collectors did. Now, with that being said, how popular were they with the Jewish people? (laughs) They were not popular. (laughs) They were extortionists. Really, at the end of the day, that really brings about, they were the mob, right? They were the godfather. They were mobsters. It was good fellas. These guys were basically saying, you want protection? Pay me. You want to be taken care of? Pay me. They were the mob of the time. They were extortionists. They were not liked very well by the people. Particularly, they were not liked by the Pharisees and the the scribes and the teachers of the law. At no point would a tax collector be considered somebody worthy of their religious practices? They wouldn't be allowed to go make their sacrifices. They wouldn't be, able, they wouldn't be allowed to, be, to partake in any part of their religion because of what they did. So they were very disliked by the teachers of the law and so forth. But here's Jesus, right? He walks up to this tax collector and he says, follow me and not just follow me, be my disciple. Uh-oh. That's going to rub some people the wrong way. And it did. Through this, Levi throws a, he, he throws a party basically in Jesus' honor. And he invites who? Who does who's Levi invite? His buddies. Who are his buddies? Other tax collectors. Right? He doesn't have nice Jewish. He's a nice Jewish boy. No, he doesn't have nice Jewish friends. Because nice Jewish friends are taught you don't hang out with sinners and particularly tax collectors, right? So the people that started hanging around Jesus were not so great. And interestingly enough, who's following them along with all these people? The Pharisees and the tax collectors. And what were they trying to do at this point? 
they didn't care about money at this point. What were they trying to do? What were the Pharisees tax collectors basically doing following Jesus? They're trying to get dirt on. They're trying to do something to him. They're trying to trip him up. They're looking for any little thing that he's doing wrong. And let me tell you something. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? They found it, and they went at it. Jesus basically had the perfect answer in here. Now, that's the story in Luke. I want to just point out what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Matthew passage. We're going to see some of the subtle differences between each one and see which each writer actually brings out. Each writer has a different, um, a different way of putting together their gospel, okay? Luke, what was, some of, what was Luke's purpose in writing his gospel? Why did he write? Ooh, good. He wanted to share with the Gentiles. What's some of the things he said right at the beginning of his, of, of his, le- of, of his letter of Luke? He researched these things very carefully. He was the historian. He wanted to put all of this together. So Luke's, Luke's point of his gospel was to tell the complete story, okay? Matthew, however, when he wrote, he had a primary purpose. And what was one of his primary purposes And when Matthew wrote? Matthew wanted to share with Jewish people. Luke was kind of writing to almost everybody, a historical account that would probably be taken by Jews, Romans, Gentiles of all kinds, anybody could have read Luke's gospel and gotten some piece of it. Matthew was primarily writing to the Jewish people. Mark was primarily writing to who? He primarily writing to Romans. He actually was writing to Romans at this point. And one of the things about Mark's gospel is Mark will explain Jewish things in his gospel so that a Roman can understand it, right? It's a very different concept because Romans would not understand what happens with Jews. And so Mark took great pains actually to explain some of these things, and we're going to see some of that in this. So, same passage, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. First part, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, what's one of the differences right away? Matthew versus Levi. So Luke uses Levi, Matthew uses Matthew. Just an interesting little tidbit that's there. One of the other things I liked at the beginning was as Jesus left town at the beginning versus um, Jesus walking, as Jesus was walking along. So one kind of says, hey, Jesus was leaving town. Another one just mentions that Jesus is walking, okay? Just two sides of the story. Same story, giving different perspectives. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Pretty similar to his account in in Luke. Not, Not much different there at this point. Except for one thing. So Levi got up in Luke and said, did what? Left everything. I keep pointing back there like you guys can see back there. Let me point over here. How's this work? Left everything. So Jesus, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And how much was everything for, Latin, for Matthew? It was actually quite a bit. He had a thriving business. He was profitable. He had stuff. Now, that stuff came at a cost, but he had stuff, okay? Next section. Matthew invited Jesus and disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, 
But when, Je- when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? What's different here? What does Matthew point out here? He gets a little more graphic with the people, disreputable sinners. He gets a little more in, inside of there. Finally, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So what's different here? This is a big phrase right here. He had something completely different here. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Now, this is, I'm not doing Bible challenge here, but Bible challenge, where's that from? Hosea, good call. Hosea 6.6 is really where this came from. And, and anytime you're talking about the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, back in the Old Testament time, you're talking about guys doing what? What were the prophets doing for Israel? They were calling them out. All the people were turning and doing one thing, and the prophets were the unpopular person going, hey, I'm God's messenger, and you guys aren't doing this right. So were they very popular at the time? Were they well-liked? They were not well-liked. Their life kind of was terrible, to be really honest. They did not have the greatest lives in the world in terms of what they did, okay? But in Hosea... Going along, rocking along, you get to this point. I want to sh- you to show love, not offer sacrifices. Who's I here? God. God wants you to show love, not offer sacrifices. And I love the next one. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Okay? How important was ceremonial law to a Jew? all the work. Sabbath day. And they had a whole list of, of, of things for Sabbath. I didn't even want to start into it because I'll just keep going. I mean, you know, like a woman couldn't look into a mirror because she might be tempted to pick out a gray hair in the mirror on Sabbath. I mean, silly stuff like that is all about what they were about. How important were the burnt offerings? These sacrifices they did. These became the ultimate thing. How important were fasts? to these religious leaders. And God looks here and says, in the Old Testament, in the place that they always went to, shades of grace were already there. And it says, I want you to know me more than I want your ceremonial rituals. Now I ask a question here. Are ceremonial rituals, do they have a purpose? What do ceremonial rituals do for us? Because we don't sacrifice goats, thank goodness. That would be bad, <laughs> okay? We don't you know, hold to the Sabbath law on a Saturday the way they do. But we have our rituals, do we not? What are some of the rituals that we do in the Christian church generally? Communion, that's a ritual. What else? Midnight masses, what else? Offerings, even, even the way we give offerings and so forth, right? 
These are all ceremonial in nature. What do they do for us? What do they help with? They help us to remember. They're reminders. I've had, you know, I've had a, you know, to be very honest with you, I've had a hard time with how we do church. Many years, few years ago, I had to come to terms with the fact that this is how we worship. This is how we do this, and that's okay. It all doesn't have to be different for different sake. And there's value in somebody getting up here and teaching the way we teach. There's value in this, and I had to see that there was value in this. Because in a given week, Will's job, my job, Randy's job when Randy gets up here, Corey, hi, Corey, Corey's job when he gets up here is a reminder and to remind you. But at the end of the day, what's more important? The ceremonial rituals are knowing God. What's more important? Sacrifices are showing mercy to other people. See where we're going here? Okay. In Mark, Mark's gospel, again, just add some different things. Jesus went out to the lake shore again. He had something here, lake shore. What lake are we talking about? Sea of Galilee. It's a, they call, the, the other term was Lake of Gennesaret, something like that, which sounds like a dune book, but beside the point. Uh, but out to the lake. So in one, he said he went for a walk. In one, he said he left town. In another, it says he's out by the lake shore. So he went out outside the city for a walk by the lake shore. There we go. And he taught crowds that were coming to him. Okay? As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. What other piece do we get here? His father's name, got Alphaeus. Hey, he's, he's got a dad. That's his name. This is who he is. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law or Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked him, his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? What did Mark add here? What's the addition? That, what about this one? There were many people. He adds an emphasis. He emphasizes that it wasn't just a few, of, a few people that were around Matthew. There were many people of the disreputable sinner. Now, interestingly enough, Charles Ryrie in his study Bible actually kind of, we have a connotation. We do this with language in the English language. We torture words. And we create meanings out of words that sometimes weren't the intent of the initial word. So sinners, we have our connotation of what sinners was, but sinners at this time really meant those that were not following the prescribed Jewish pharisaical laws and customs in which the, the leaders put before you. So when a, when a, when a, when a Pharisee said, oh, you, you hang out with tax collectors and sinners, he's basically saying, you hang out with tax collectors, who we hate, and people who don't follow our laws, which they also hate, okay? Those are these people. Our brains kind of make sin into a bigger global context. In this context, it does mean that, but I think at some level, Jesus sarcastically remarks, 
later, hey, sinners is something even bigger. Because really, at the end of the day, in terms of our definition of sin, who's some of the biggest sinners in this story? The Pharisees and the, and the scribes, right? They call themselves not sinners. And Jesus says, hey, I came not for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know they are sinners, okay? I got a few points here coming out of that. That's kind of how we get through some of the scriptures that we go through, and then we just have this great conversation. One of the things that we do is these conversations just bring out all kinds of stuff because I don't have all the answers as a teacher. So it's not the truth, right? I have, I have some that I think there, but having other people's opinions is amazing. Uh, the people that are in my group, Rick and, uh, Rick, Rick and Christina, uh, Dave and Elizabeth are in there. Or Steve. Is Steve in the back or Steve in here? Steve's in the back. Steve's out there in the nursery. Um, Dennis and Sue, who's not here today, are, are there. We have these great conversations around this, and everybody brings something to the table. And I learn, I learn more from being in there and listening to it than I actually do studying it. It's absolutely one of the most amazing things I've ever done. Three things here that come out of this, and it's come out of the kind of the class that we've done. Power behind good news. Matthew, when he start, when he, when, when, when Matthew gets through and starts into Jesus's ministry in Galilee, he says in, in Matthew 4, he says, and Jesus went around preaching the good news of the, the good news, which is the gospel, to the area, and people were amazed. And then he immediately goes into the Sermon on the Mount, okay? That's his method of story. And then he goes into these stories that were kind of in, in Matthew 9, and etc. Good news. What was the good news for the people of Judea? What were they hearing for the first time from Jesus that they haven't heard from the leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees? What were they hearing from Jesus? What was Jesus telling them? How you tr- it, he talked to them about the heart of the law instead of the letter of the law. He gave, in the Jewish system, the common person who did not follow the Jewish law and did not have all of the advantages of a Pharisee, what kind of hope did they have? They had no hope. Here comes a man who then begins to talk and proclaim, and he gave hope. There's something for me. I'm a tax collector. I'm a lowly, I'm a lowly shepherd in the field. I can't ever come give sacrifices because I'm never clean. I handle animals all day long. All of the common people, for the first time in their lives, began to hear the good news. And the good news was, there's hope. And all these people that you've been looking up to, they don't have it. I have something now. You have something that you can now proclaim God for. God wants you as well. And all these people that you think have had it all their whole lives, they don't got it anymore. That was great news. What did we see? People flocked to him, right? Many tax collectors, disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. 
They loved him for it. They were amazed by it. He gave hope to the hopeless, which we sing about. But it doesn't always hit us in terms of how big a deal this was for the people of Israel that weren't the leaders, that weren't the Sadducees, that weren't the Pharisees. Everybody now had a chance to know who God was. And it was a matter of the heart. It was not a matter of the act. Second one, moral versus ceremonial law. We talked a little bit about this, but ceremonial became the most important thing for the Jewish people, for the, for, for the leaders of the Jews, far more important than actually helping somebody, right? So Jesus heals a paralytic, right? Now, normally, if you heal a paralytic, should that not be a good thing for the paralytic? Right? I mean, this guy, he was paralyzed his whole life on a mat begging. Jesus heals him. What's the Pharisees' comment to him? It's on the Sabbath. You are a sinner. But we just healed somebody over here. This is a good thing. He's healed, and they're worried about the fact that he did it on the Sabbath. He cast out demons. Somebody had mental, spiritual problems in their life. They were crazy. And he made them not crazy anymore. But it was on the Sabbath. Right? Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. We saw Hosea. There's even a better place, and I want you to... Sometimes we, we, when we read the Old Testament, language gets to us, and we don't really see what's going on here. But in Micah, Micah brings a little, a little more, a little more, absolutely crazy, and then levels the truth. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Is bringing the God burnt offerings bad? It's not bad. That's what they're asked to do. But if that's all that they have, all that they do, and they don't do anything else aside from it, but he goes on. Should we bow before the God most high and offer in offerings of yearling calves? So he gets a little more specific, ups the ante a little bit. Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Okay. Thousands of rams may be possible in the Jewish system at the temple. They probably did end up sacrificing thousands of rams over the years of which they did it. But there is absolutely no way you could bring 10,000 rivers of olive oil. That's, that's a lot more olive oil than it's possible. Okay? But he's bringing, he, he's bringing this to a ridiculous point. Because the ridiculous point is this one, which I, for the first time, actually saw when I went through this and went, wow. Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? He's up in the ante. He's saying, how important is this ceremonial really? Should we even go that far? Because that's the real answer. But he says, no. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. Do right, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. 
doing right. This is also, you know, in, in some, if you go to, this is the New, New Living uh, Translation of the Bible. There, some, a lot of times this is uh, do justly, act justly. So, in other words, in my behavior with people, I am to act in a right way. Correct? My responsibility. Okay? Why? Here's the interesting part. The, the, why do I not commit adultery against my wife? Because it's a sin against God? Or it'll harm my wife? Which is actually more important here? Do the right thing because I'm going to hurt my wife. Which is more important in our lives? If I lie, does my lie hurt God? Really? Who does my lie hurt? Those that I'm lying to. This is your motivation behind what you do and how you treat people. Act in a just manner. Taking, I have a proclivity to selfishness. My sin brings selfish. I am a selfish man. What's right for me is right for me. Everybody else can go away. God asks us, no, that's incorrect. Act justly towards other people. Love mercy. How about this? Other people will harm me. Harm me. They're going to do it. Guess what? People will let you down. They will cause pain in your life. What are we asked to do? Forgive them. Have mercy. This is 100% the complete opposite of the way the world behaves. Because the world says, look out for yourself. And by the way, if someone harms you, Take care of it. That's not fair. I need to enact justice. But in God's world, we are to act justly and to give mercy. And walk humbly with your God in a humble way. God is God and I am not. And that's the position that we're supposed to be in. Finally, healthy, wealthy, and wise, I brought this up few months back when I did it, but this is what came to me, and this is why I brought up the whole I was running and tripped and fell thing. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. We do something with this that's kind of damaging to us. We think this is a one-time proposition. Our Christian mind has said, hey, I've come to Christ, I ceased being the sinner, and I became the healthy. And it's unconscious, but we do it. How often are we sick? all the time. What is our position before God? Do we ever get to the point that we stand before God healthy in this world? 
Just from a general standpoint, the curse of sin on our lives brings about age, deterioration, sickness, pain. It never, this doesn't go away, guys. What I, I'm cruising along, I'm doing all right. Here comes the, the rock, and the rock can be of anything. You know, illness in my family, illness for me, harm for me. These are just those things, not to mention the things that I do to myself because of the sin in my life. We are constantly at a place of being a sinner and being needed to repent. It's the position that we're supposed to be in. We're supposed to walk humbly before our God. And way too often, we do what the Pharisees do, and we think of ourselves as healthy. Our pride pops up. I'm a healthy man running down, the, running down the thing. I'm good. In fact, like I said, I kind of peacocked in front of three ladies walking up. Why? I don't know. It's what I do. Look at me. I'm so cool. How often do we do this in life? We keep, we walk, we think we got it all together. We forget about what God really means. We forget the fact that we're sinners in needs of repentance. And life just comes up and smacks us upside the head. Oh, that didn't read as well as I thought it would because I liked the way it looked in the thing, but that's okay. With that thought, I leave you with this, and I'm going to pray. Um, worship team, you guys can come up. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. He's healthy. He thinks he's got it all together. And that's his prayer. Is that coming humbly before your God? That has nothing, but I challenge you to look at those places in your life in which this becomes your attitude, because it does. This week was a challenge for me. <laughs> I'm not going I to, I'm sitting here preaching this, and all of a sudden last night I'm like, wait a minute, you need to take account for this in your life. It needs to mean something in there to you, much less if you're going to be presenting it before people. But what are we asked? But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And are we to do that one time when we come to Jesus? We're to do this all the time. This is our position. We are before a holy God. And if you want things to hope, joy, all of those things do not come out of thinking you're healthy. They come out of, let me repent, I am a sinner. I tell you this, sinner, not the Pharisee, return, I tell you this, I tell you this, sinner, not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. 
but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Father, out of this, guide us in our lives to recognize those moments when we think we're healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because I think that's really the message is we need to recognize those times because they will come. That's just a truth about our sinful nature. And if we can recognize them, if you can bring them to our attention and help us to realize, be merciful on us a sinner. Our position before you allows us to walk humbly we will be able to act justly and have mercy and love for those people around us. And that's what you ask of us. We love you. Thank you for this time. And be with us as we go out and just share with each other. In your son's name, amen.